Welcome to the Sheila Cameron Extractive Podcast. Today, my uh, guest is Peter Cameron. Peter is a leading professor uh, who specializes in energy law. Peter also sits uh, as an international arbitrator and acts as an expert witness in arbitral proceedings. He's a qualified barrister, a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, a member of several professional bodies, including a fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh. Peter, lovely to speak with you and welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you for the invitation, Sheila. That's Happy lovely. So I, I, in this series where we discuss uh, agreements between investors and host nations, I, I wanted you to give us a, a view of agreements in the petroleum space. So just at the beginning, how important is policy as the foundation for agreements between host governments and investors? Well, policy is fundamental, Sheila. Um, it really is as simple as that. Um, we need to know we need to know what it, the government wants. After all, remember who owns the resource. The resource in almost every single country in the planet, whatever the resource is, but especially petroleum, will be owned by the state. Now, the state could be defined in different ways. It could be called the crown or the, the people, whatever. It depends on the country concerned, but it's a public, publicly owned resource. And, and really, the, the, the authority that is in charge of that resource uh, on behalf of the people is, is usually the government. And the, so the government has to set out its priorities, what, what matters in developing the petroleum sector. And it needs to do that partly because it needs to uh, make sure that it is expressing the will of the citizens of the of the country uh, so that they're happy with what's going on. And secondly, it needs to make sure that investors are clear what the objectives of the government and the country will be in developing the resource. Otherwise, if they don't have clarity, I'm afraid it, it, they, they can't really begin to consider making an investment. And of course, governments may decide they don't want foreign investors, but most do. And, and if they do want them, they have to set out clearly and transparently what their policy objectives are. So uh, put another way, policy uh, manages investor expectations. Policy also expresses uh, the intent of the government, which can then, uh, to the extent that it is in the public domain, be tested against the expectations of the public. So, so really, it cuts both ways, right? It does indeed. And it, of course, through experience, that policy can change. Isn't this where one of uh, the, the issues then, the, the policy change, some, some investors become aggrieved when governments change policy. Uh, is, is, is there uh, resentment of policy change uh, justified? Well, it depends on on what, how, who you are, how, where where you're looking at this, Sheila. Because if you're if you're a government, then I, 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 it's very likely that at some point there'll be a new government coming in, and it will have different uh, priorities. So 
the investor really is going to be keen for continuity because these projects are long-term projects. So the investor really is looking for long-term continuity. But I think most investors will understand that uh, that as governments change, their policies are going to change. Uh, and they would hope that through the change, there will still be lots of continuity vis-a-vis -vis their own particular economic terms in particular. And uh, so they, they are seeking for continuity. Um, but I, I, most of them accept that that that, that that some change is likely. They just hope that the the, uh, the fundamentals, the economics, uh, will not be changed. That's just because Sheila, they need to make calculations before they go into the investment in the first place, and if those calculations have to be redone later, well, they're not going to be too comfortable about that. Absolutely. Well, let's come back then to the uh, uh, petroleum uh, sector. Uh, there are, aren't there, certain very generic uh, petroleum sector type agreements. What would these be? What what would uh, uh, constitute the suite of development agreements associated with petroleum projects? Well, often, often, Sheila, the terminology that is used in 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 a country can can vary in describing. Uh, a particular agreement. So we have to be careful not to get too hung up on the words that are used. But broadly, there are three, uh, three kinds, and, and similar words do tend to come up in describing them. Uh, the first, I would say, and the most pervasive is, is called production sharing. Um, that really is, 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 is a kind of contract that uh, is made between uh, governments and uh, usually governments and investors, but it could be the, the state company and investors. Um, it's, it, as you, you can imagine, the basis for that contract is, is a sharing of the production, if there is production, um, from, from the, the grant of rights. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment. Second, second type of agreement is called license, which is also sometimes called a concession. And the third one is called a service contract. That's a little bit confusing because sometimes contractors um, hire other companies for various services, and those contracts are often called services as called service contracts too. But going back, let's do a a, a quick quick co contrast between the production sharing and the license. What happens with the license is that the, uh, the the government gives rights to an investor or a consortium of investors, um, and if they're successful in finding petroleum and they produce it, then when that petroleum reaches the wellhead, the ownership of the of the petroleum will be transferred to uh, the, the, the foreign in investor, or, or it could be a consortium, including a domestic company too. The key thing is ownership is transferred. If you compare that with production sharing, it's quite different. Some countries don't like this idea of ownership being transferred to foreigners at all. Perhaps they've had unpleasant experiences in their history with foreign investors. Uh, many countries have. And, and they're in the light of that history, they don't like this idea. So production sharing, which was initiated a long, long time ago, I, I think by Indonesia many years ago, it came along as an alternative in which 
the petroleum resource um, does not uh, does not actually get transferred to the foreign investor. Instead, it's it's more a, a management thing that the the foreign investor receives a share of the produced oil if if oil is found. Um, so you could have, say, uh, Nigeria, the, the NNPC, uh, or, or Algeria, the Sonatrach, um, is involved in the, the production and then takes the, the petroleum into its own uh, pipelines, in, say, in the case of Sonatrach, and it transports the, the petroleum, which it still owns, all the way to um, the... Uh, uh, port of loading, and at that point, there the there could be a division of 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 the of the petroleum between the, the investor uh, and the and the state, so that a share then is loaded onto the ship on behalf of the uh, of the foreign investor, and at that point, um, it acquires ownership. Mm. Do you get the point that its ownership is is uh, if it's a sensitive issue, then production sharing respects the sensitivity of the state, um, whereas the license is, is, a, is, is a different kind of arrangement. Very, very common, very popular. Um, uh, it, you find it in the Norway, for example, as well as the UK um, and in many parts of Africa. But production mm. sharing is also very popular too. Mm. So um, I, I wanted to follow through on this ownership. You started off when you, you defined the importance of policy. Uh, by saying in, in many jurisdictions, many countries, uh, kingdoms, call, it, call them what you will, uh, the, the, the laws vest ownership with the, the state. Yes. So in this case, when we have this ownership agreement, are you implying that that ownership changes hands in perpetuity or are you merely implying that in effect, the investor acquires the right to extract because I think the two are not entirely the same. You're quite right. You're quite right. Um, the the ownership ownership is all is always uh, with with the 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 public sector, but um, really all the the investors most investors would 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 never even bat an eyelid about this. Their their concern is the is the petroleum which they want to. What they they often call monetize. They they want to treat it as a commodity and turn it into capital. Um, so that's their interest. They don't want to own your oil um, in perpetuity. Why why would they want to do that? Um, so it, it's it's really about granting the kind of rights. If you would put it like this, a right to take um, the resource. Um, uh, subject to all sorts of conditions, of course, but it's a right to take a particular uh, amount of the of the resource at a particular time, subject to many conditions that have been agreed with the government. Does that help? Yeah. Yes, it does indeed. So production sharing would be uh, one major provision for having these rights. You would have them conditional to the state having a share. Would that be correct? Yes. Yes. The the the. It's it's good for the state because the the state basically says, well, we would like a share of this production. They may not the state may not use it 
um, in the country, it may just decide through its national oil company or petroleum company to to market it in the same way that uh, that a, a foreign investor might be wanting to do. So um, it, the key thing is it will get a share of the production. And by the way, the counterpart to that, Sheila, is that um, the investor will recover its costs. So there'll be a, a cost recovery provision. Um, right. And that's something that if you if you give me a moment at some point in this podcast, I'll be very happy to to say a few things about. Well, let's do that now. So right. the assumption is that uh, the investor has invested in searching for oil or gas, and that that has cost a lot of money, and that yes. somehow part of the agreements going forward must address that right to recover costs. Talk us through that, Peter. Well, it, it, uh, the fundamentals are that if you're a, a government and you, you want to develop your, your, your resource, what you don't really want to do is take risks. Um, you, you, you really want, want to be making sure that your, your public money is spent on schools, hospitals, roads, public goods. You don't, you don't want to be engaging in, in, in oil exploration. It's too, too risky. So you bring in these, these people who are willing to take the risk, which means also they can lose money. Uh, the key thing is that the government shouldn't be losing money. So in they come, they make this investment, and maybe they're successful. Uh, in some cases, they are. Uh, the next thing you're going to be doing is saying, right, what's the reward you're going to get for taking that risk? Um, and we've talked about sharing production as a way of getting the reward subject to, to tax and so on. But the other part to that is what do you do to reimburse the investor for the costs of, of, of not just the initial investment, but the ongoing um, investment that, that you want the investor to keep uh, making? And here we have something that's very, very delicate, Sheila, because um, it would be unheard of for a government uh, to disagree about repaying the cost. But the way that you repay is very important. And unfortunately, it has led to an awful lot of disputes. Um, it's probably the one provision, the cost recovery provision, the one provision in production sharing contracts that is most controversial. And that's because what, what some investors would quite like is to get all of their costs back um, as, as soon as possible. That's quite reasonable. Unfortunately, from a government point of view or a public point of view, it's not acceptable. What you really need to do is to ensure that the investor is getting a proportion of their costs back annually not all of them, but a share of them. You're not disagreeing with the idea of paying them back, but what you're doing is just saying, look, we have to make sure that you get your costs back up to a percentage um, on an annual basis, and we will go on on that basis, and you'll get all your money back. The alternative, I'm afraid, Sheila, is if the government miscalculates and lets the investor get all of their costs back, they could be waiting years and years before they get anything of uh, the development of the petroleum resource. Absolutely. So I, I want to, it, it's for, for, for somebody like myself who has been involved in mining and oil and gas projects, 
the logic is self-evident, but I, it may not be to some of the Sheila Kama Executive Podcast followers. So let, let's slow it down a bit. Right. So first we have the principle. You've incurred upfront expenditure. You've absorbed the risk uh, on behalf of both yourself and the government. Yes. And now the opportunity to recover comes. The government says, sure, we agree, but we like it uh, to be incremental, not upfront. What would be the government's logic and what would be the company's counter logic for wanting to recover the costs up front and as quickly as possible? Well, for the company, the, the, the logic of, of obtaining their, their costs uh, as early as possible is fairly clear. They're, they they want to, uh, they've, they've spent money and they want, they want to, to get it back as early as possible. And, but to the extent that they're continuing to do so, obviously the, the same principle applies. They want it as fast as possible. If they, if the cost recovery in the formula between production sharing and cost recovery, if the cost recovery um, is 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 organised so that they the company receives a certain percentage uh, of their costs uh, back uh, annually, it means that what you've got left over is is a fair amount of the petroleum uh, or the production that that can then be split between the to the parties. Um, if the cost recovery is, is 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 absolute, you might end up finding that there's no that that, that it squeezes out all of that production sharing, uh, and all of the gain um, goes to one side, the investor. Um, so that's the sort of thing governments have to make sure they avoid. Um, I mean, there is another dimension to this. I, I don't. I don't want to confuse any, anything. But um, you also have to be clear in something called an accounting annex. What is an eligible cost for recovery? You can't just allow anything to be recovered. I'm afraid um, some costs might be the result of poor business judgment. I, I don't see why a government should be responsible for that. Um, so you have to make sure that a lot of things are clear from the outset in the contract and in the accounting annex about which costs are eligible for uh, uh, recovery. Um, and then there's that point about, about phasing the recovery. Absolutely. No, I understand fully. So so it, like most things, it starts... Uh as if it's simple, but once you get to the implementation and the interpretation uh, of the intention, then it becomes a bit complex because what you yes. are saying is that, true, you are allowed to recover, but you can only recover what we deem for purposes of undertaking exploration, uh, developing the project and bringing it to, to uh, and commissioning uh, production, what we consider legitimate and, and directly associated with this uh, oil or gas field. You can't load other costs that may otherwise uh, have been incurred, but been incurred due to inefficiencies or uh, for that matter, not at all directly associated with the project because otherwise what you're doing is you are depriving the state of its legitimate share. Would that be about the summary, Peter? 
that's 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 perfectly fine. Um, just keep in mind, uh, or or the, Sheila, I know you will, but the 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 listeners should be aware that all of this has to be agreed in the contract before uh, the investor is actually going to get started. You 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 can't come along and invent the conditions at a later stage. You you have to negotiate the whole document, and then the parties have to sit down and say yes we agree and then they sign it so all of these conditions that you're referring to and the definitions very very important definitions of what is an eligible cost um, those are ones which both parties have agreed on uh, before any work takes place so it's not as if anybody's coming along at a later date and saying uh, these are the rules uh, or we're interpreting the rules in a way that's uh, that's 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 completely new. It it should all be clear in the wording of that contract. Absolutely, and 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 so uh, it's important then to bear in mind that these are not post-discovery agreements. These are pre-discovery and development agreements. Because if you do so at that stage, then in some cases it might very well be too late uh, to, you know, properly. Uh, I, uh, or reach agreement, it, it just opens up opportunities for disagreement. I, I want to ask you something else. Of course, we've talked about agreements with state as the owner and the conditions yes. for uh, both uh, licensing, but also for development and then production sharing. What we haven't spoken about, uh, have we, Peter, is the people with whom we enter into agreement to sell uh, the product, otherwise sometimes referred to as an uptake agreement. Can you tell us what we mean by an uptake agreement and what are some of the issues uh, that we need to bear in mind when we talk about offtake agreements? Well, well, the offtake agreements are very common. They're legal. They're legal agreements between a buyer of a natural resource, and it could be um, liquefied natural gas. Um, for example, or it could be uh, a mi mining material. Uh, uh, so the buyer on the one hand and a seller on the other. Uh, BP, I was reading recently, has has concluded several uh, contracts with with gas producers in in British Columbia to buy LNG in certain quantities over a period of time, usually a very, very long period. And in this case, I, I think it's bought up all of the, the gas that this particular seller is likely to produce for the foreseeable future. That's pretty good for the seller because it, it removes the risk that um, there's going to be a, a problem in selling uh, its commodity uh, at a later date. Um, so all its future output is secure. Um, as far as the buyer is concerned, it also has attractions because the price is going to be fixed in that contract. Um, and as we know, that the prices of commodities um, can be so volatile that I think, I think the IMF once used the term roller coaster to describe the commodities market. Uh, there are certain times when 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 it's it's very very volatile, very uncertain. But it also, when you do this, it improves the the bankability of the project. If you have to go lending, um, once you've got, uh, if you have to go borrowing any money, I should say, uh, it, it's it's easier when you have one of these offtake agreements in place because it gives everybody uh, security. 
you asked about the risk. I, I could I said one of the risks is, is that one of the parties might just back out at a later date. Um, I'm afraid, you know, that's just the sort of thing that can happen. It doesn't typically happen, but it, it, it can happen. And you have to provide for that in the offtake uh, agreement because it can lead to a dispute. Yeah. Should governments be concerned themselves with offtake agreements or should they just take the view that, well, this is uh, a matter between the uh, developer and uh, its own, uh, you know, buyers? Well, um, I, I think it's important for governments to remain informed about what's been going on. Um, it, it's always difficult because you, 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 uh, what you really don't want to be doing is, 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 is interfering. If you're a government, you don't want to be interfering in market operations, which are uh, really a bit like the, the sort of the lifeblood of the, of the, the of the, op, of the operation. You don't want to be interfering with the, the circulation of the of the bloodstream, and this is this is one of those uh, agreements that that makes a lot of commercial sense, um, and and I, I would say it's probably a good idea to keep keep well well away from it, but it's always useful to be just uh, ensure that there are reporting requirements so that governments are informed uh, about these arrangements since uh, I, I, ultimately the government does have an interest in making sure that the resource is properly managed. Absolutely. I think I'll I just add one tiny point to, to that, Sheila, is, is that we're living in an age of energy transition at the moment. And uh, so really the next 10 or 20 years are going to be much more uncertain than the last 10 or 20. And it's not just about price volatility. That it's quite possible that some companies might make their own calculations about energy transition, which which lead them to withdraw from agreements. So I think governments have to keep an eye more than ever on these agreements, just to make sure that 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 uh, that, that everything goes nice and smoothly, uh, and that we don't have any uh, disruption. In other words, uh, investors may take a view based either on just uh, mitigation of risk or perception of greater opportunities in uh, clean energy that they will divest from uh, gas or, or oil. And that in this case, they would then potentially be wanting to exit and, and governments may end up in a situation in which uh, wherein it, traditionally is the companies that's worrying about security of tenure is the governments now that may be worrying about security of the yes. of continuity of these agreements I, I i think that is a real issue and, and and we are seeing aren't we in countries like nigeria albeit for different reasons that majors are selling at least uh assets uh online yes. and 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 this is indicative of what might happen and and clearly the question is when that happens, uh, what as a lawyer would be uh, the recourse for governments, and and uh, and and uh, you know, how can governments mitigate that risk? Well, the the government can always go back to the the grant of rights to the to the parties. Uh, the, an offtake agreement is made by say the the the. Uh, 
uh, well, a buyer and a seller, but but the party producing the the the, the commodity, let's say gas, um, uh, will be doing so ultimately on the basis of of a grant of rights from the government, and part of that will include uh, the requirement to uh, to carry out its operations um, expeditiously. Um, and also to carry out it, uh, th those operations in accordance with good international petroleum industry practice. So it, it, it may be that, that, that there are provisions inside the grant, the granting document, that allow the government to uh, put some pressure on the, uh, on, on the seller of, 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 of the commodity. So I guess what this tells us is that we're really in the past this would not have been on the cards for any new uh, petroleum discoveries. Governments have to be uh, alleged to the need to guard against the risk of divestment by companies that may feel the pressure uh, uh, I, from the public who are now uh, turning away from fossil fuels. And the governments need to think what happens if this company and its shareholders or its financiers decide they don't want fossil fuels? So that would be a new development in terms of the nature and the content of, of uh, future agreements. Let me ask you one last question. We've talked a lot about the government, naturally, as the, as you rightly said, the owner. Now, of, of course, governments own oil fields and gas fields onshore and offshore. Yes. But we also know that offshore, there are the high seas where uh, there is no uh, state ownership. Who, who controls discoveries in areas that are beyond maritime borders? Well, you have, you have of course, a, a territorial sea, it's a narrow strip off the, uh, offshore. Uh, then you have a continental shelf, which is often quite wide. And then beyond that, you have uh, you have the, the 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 area you've called the high seas, and uh, there um, really the the situation is very different. That uh, we do have um, a growing interest in in mining offshore in in these areas, deep sea mining, um, uh, which is likely to continue. It's a very controversial area because of environmental concerns. But in, from a legal point of view, there there is a, a an international deep sea mining regime set out in the Law of the Sea Convention, uh, and so international law uh, applies to these to these areas. Uh, and and anything that's done uh, by 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 states has to be has to be, uh, in the case of deep sea mining, it has to be licensed. Um, so it, it, there's a certain amount of um, uh, awareness that this is all a common space uh, subject to um, these uh, international legal agreements, in this case, the, the, the Law of the Sea Agreement. Absolutely. Well, I think the term they, they use is heritage, common heritage of mankind. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And well, so it is. Uh, I, I I fear we've come to the end of uh, this session, but no doubt I'll be coming back to you in future uh, series. Thank you very much uh, for joining the Sheila Palmer Extractive Podcast. I, I have enjoyed our discussions as usual. It's been a pleasure, Sheila. Thank you for the invitation, and I hope uh, some people in your in your group have found this uh, useful.